Welcome to another episode of Church History. I'm your host, Laura Lee Siemens, and today we're taking a deep dive into the history of the Orthodox Church in Greece and its pivotal role in ending the Ottoman rule. We can't jump right into the Greek War of Independence. First, we have to look back at the history of Greece. Ancient Greece Our journey begins with a look at the influence of ancient Greece on modern society. The profound impact of ancient Greece on our world can't be measured. It touches so many aspects of our civilization today. In math, we have Greek thinkers like Pythagoras. The Greek thinkers laid foundations for geometry and abstract mathematical reasoning, which continues to shape modern math and science. We have Greek philosophers like Socrates and Plato and Aristotle. They provided the basis for critical thinking, ethical reasoning, and the development of the scientific method. These profoundly shaped our world today and the philosophical discourse. The Greek city of Athens introduced concepts like democracy and a political system that serves as a model for our modern governments. And then there was the Greek legal principles, like the legal code of Salon. This influenced the development of legal systems we have today worldwide. The ancient Greece and what we learned from that impacts today our educational institutions, our political ideologies, our scientific methods, and the ethical foundations of our society today. The biggest impact on the world from Greece was the influence on the writing of the Bible. Now, if you go back to the intertestimonial times, this is the time period between the Old Testament and Jesus' life. You can learn more about this time period in our very first episode of this podcast. Now, this period between the Old and New Testament, there was a significant impact on the writing of the Bible in Greece. Now, during this around 400-year gap, Greece, which was led by Alexander the Great, pushed its influence all over Eastern Mediterranean. And this had the Hellenistic era. The Greek culture and language and thoughts, it just pushed its way through the region, including Judea. Now, the Hellenization influence of Jewish culture and thought made many Jews become bilingual, which means they spoke Greek and Hebrew. During this time, the Hebrew Bible, which was the Old Testament, was translated into Greek. And this version of the Bible is called the Septuagint. This translation allowed the Greek-speaking Jews and later the early Christians who weren't Jewish to have access to this sacred text. Now, this time period, this 400 years between the Old and New Testament, was pivotal in shaping the culture and it was the backdrop which the New Testament was written. It impacted the languages, the thought, and even the theological concepts found in the Bible. As we read the New Testament, 
we see really important parts of church history that happened in Greece. In the Bible, you're going to encounter significant biblical locations that you can visit if you go to Greece today. You follow the journeys of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts. He visited Athens, Thessalonica, Corinth, Philippi, even a place called Fair Havens. You also find books written to the Greeks, including 1st and 2nd Thessalonians, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, and Philippians. Patmos was an island in Greece, and that's where John wrote the book of Revelation. For the first part of church history, the Greek church was essential to the church. Now, the term Catholic church was used to speak of the whole church. However, conflicts began to rise between the different churches in different countries. The Crusades were a significant part of that, and you can go back and listen to those episodes. I'll put links in the show notes. In the First Crusade, Western European Christian forces captured Jerusalem, but not before they traveled through Greece, causing all kinds of problems. Greece was mostly left out of the Second and the Third Crusades. However, while the primary goal of the Crusades was to reclaim the Holy Land from Islamic rule, they resulted in a prolonged interactions between Western Crusaders and the Eastern Christian Empire. These interactions exposed deep cultural, theological, and political differences between the Latin West and the Greek East. Western Crusaders often disrespected and clashed with the Eastern Orthodox Christians. This strained the already fragile relationship between these two branches of Christianity, the Latin and the Greek. These conflicts and disputes over doctrinal matters contributed to a growing divide. In the year 1054, the mutual excommunication of the Pope in Rome and the Patriarch of Constantinople marked the formal schism between the Roman Catholic Church and the Eastern Orthodox Church, cementing the division that still remains today. Now, this great schism of 1054 was a significant event in Christian history when the Christian Church split into two branches, the Roman Catholic Church in the West and the Eastern Orthodox Church in the East. Now, this schism, it came from a whole bunch of disagreements between the two branches. There was these theological differences, there was huge cultural differences, and there was definitely political differences. But the main point of this argument and the main contention was over the authority of the Pope who was the Bishop of Rome. In 1054, the Pope and the Patriarch of Constantinople excommunicated each other, causing this division. And this event changed and separated Western and Eastern Christianity. Basically, when it came down to it, the Greek church didn't want to have a Pope in Rome telling them what to do. And they said, no, we're not going to have a Pope. We're going to let all the bishops be equal Even if we have one bishop who's considered the first bishop, he can oversee us, but he doesn't have any more power and he's not any more important than the rest of us. This great schism marks an historical landmark that shaped the course of Christianity and definitely shaped Greece. Today's episode is brought to you by Alexander Henry Coffee. If you use the code CHURCHHISTORY, 
all lowercase and no spaces, you can receive a 20% discount. If you want some great coffee, check it out. My husband roasts the coffee and let me tell you, our home smells amazing. I'm drinking his coffee right now as I record this and the taste is so smooth. So check out the link in the show notes. By the fourth crusade in 1204, the Western and the Eastern churches had moved from theological differences into a full out war. In 1204, the crusaders diverted their original mission to the Holy Land and instead captured Constantinople, establishing a Latin empire. This event significantly affected Greece as many areas were controlled by the Latin Empire. One year later, in 1205, Boniface was appointed King of Thessalonica, a significant crusader state in northern Greece. In 1248, all the way until 1254, the Seventh Crusade, which was led by King Louis IX of France, was primarily focused on Egypt. But the consequences of this crusade was felt in Greece because of ongoing political and territorial disputes. But it was the fall of Constantinople in 1453 that marked a significant turning point. The Ottoman Empire, led by Mehmed the Conqueror, captured the city and extended its rule over most of Greece. Constantinople was a Greek culture and one of the most important places for church history. Today, Constantinople is known as Turkey. The Ottoman Empire continued to control Greece and the broader Balkan region for 400 years. Islamic rule took control of the churches. Many had been in place since the time of Paul. The churches were converted into mosques. During these 400 years of Ottoman rule in Greece, before the War of Independence, Christians' lives were impacted. Remember, this was a predominantly Christian population that was living inside the Ottoman Empire. Greeks forced horrible conditions on the church, and any Christian was given a demi-status. Under this status, Christians did have a little bit of a degree of freedom over their religious and social affairs, but they were subjected to a lot of restrictions. They were required to pay a special tax, and they were not allowed to be part of the political or any military authority. Sons were taken by the Islamic army and forced to fight for them. Other children were also stolen from their homes, forced to convert to Islam, and then forced into slavery. Now, there was a group called the Cleftists. They rose up to defend the people and faced abuse regularly. However, the Greek Orthodox Church played a significant role in preserving the Greek culture and its identity. The Greek Church set up secret societies that ensured that Greek culture and language would never be forgotten. The churches were typically allowed to stay open, but they faced harsh rules. Still, the church refused to close. Now we have to remember, during these 400 years, a lot of really important things happened in church history. We have the Spanish Inquisition, Martin Luther, the Protestant Reformation, John Knox, Calvin, the Age of Exploration, the Puritans, Galileo, the French Revolution, 
the American War of Independence, William Wilberforce, the Civil War where slavery was made illegal, and the missionary movement. Meanwhile, the Greek church was held hostage in Greece throughout this time period. And Christians faced discrimination and persecution. Still, they continued to practice their faith, and Greek communities remained resilient. They maintained their language, their tradition, and the churches. The Greek Orthodox Church served as a focal point for preserving this Greek culture and heritage and helping sustain a sense of identity throughout those centuries of Ottoman rule. Imagine with me, you're a Christian family living in Greece under the Ottoman rule. In the heart of the Greek countryside, during the Ottoman Empire in the late 18th century, you live with your devout Christian family. You have called this village home for generations, living under the shadow of an Islamic regime that has held sway over your land for centuries. The head of the household is a humble farmer who toils tirelessly with the fertile soil, tending to his olive trees and vineyards while installing a deep love for faith and culture in his children. Life for your family is a balancing act. You adhere to your Christian traditions with unwavering devotion, gathering in secret to attend underground Orthodox services led by local priests who risk their lives to maintain the spiritual well-being of their community. Your family's home serves as a sanctuary where icons and hidden religious texts are cherished and preserved, passing on your faith to the younger generation. Your spouse shares the dream of providing your children with a better life, far from the tyranny of this Ottoman rule. With great determination, you have sent your oldest son to a secret school where the Greek language, history, and culture are preserved despite the oppressive policies of the Ottoman authorities. You're nervous as your son grows. You want him to be healthy, but you don't want him to look strong. If the Islamic army comes to your home, they can demand your son join their army, and there is nothing you can do to stop them. You also worry about your daughters. They can be taken and forced into Islam and made into slaves. These fears grip your heart every day. But your family is growing and thriving, even during these challenging circumstances. Each evening, you gather your family and you share stories of your ancestors, emphasizing the importance of their Greek heritage and Christian faith. Your family is a living testament to the resilience of the Greek people, maintaining their identity and traditions in the face of adversity. This is the life of the Greek church during the 400 years of Islamic rule. As the years passed, the Ottoman Empire ruled Greece, but Christian families remained steadfast in their faith, determined to uphold their heritage. Their unwavering commitment to the Christian faith and Greek culture became a testament to the enduring spirit of the Greek people, sowing the seeds of hope and inspiration for generations to come. And after 
400 years, the Greek people began to rise up and demand their freedom. The Orthodox Church played a pivotal role in the eventual end of Ottoman rule in Greece. The influence of the Greek Orthodox Church was crucial in galvanizing the population and providing spiritual, moral, and even material support for the Greek cause. The Orthodox Church served as a kind of custodian of the Greek identity and its culture during those 400 years of the Ottoman rule. It continued to have religious services and maintain these traditions and educate the population in the Greek language and its history and its values. We should be proud of the church's role in preserving this Greek heritage and know that it was instrumental in keeping the flame of national identity alive. The church's moral authority and influence in Greek society allowed it to inspire and mobilize the Greek population against the Ottoman oppression. There was clergy members, particularly the monks, and there was village priests. These were instrumental in uniting the people through sermons and church gatherings. They influenced the belief that the Greek people had a divine right to freedom, that their right to freedom and self-determination came from God. When small groups of resistant fighters began to fight back, the Greek Orthodox Church contributed materially to their effort. Monasteries and churches sheltered and hid the Greek rebels and served as strategic bases of operation. The church's land holdings were used to fund the war by providing financial support and supplies to the fighters. There was many heroes in this movement, and if I told you the story of each one of them, we could have a whole separate podcast. In fact, there are full podcasts dedicated to the history of Greece that covers this particular time period and covers the stories of many of these people. But I'm going to tell you just one story of one hero. In the heart of Greece, there lived a remarkable woman named Laskarina Bubunlina. She was born in 1771. Legends say that Laskarina was born in chains. That is because from the moment of her birth, she was hit with tragedy and a fight to be free. Her people were controlled by the Islamic rule of the Ottoman Empire. And they had imprisoned her father, who was part of a rebellion to fight for the freedom of the Greek people from Ottoman rule. When her mother was visiting the prison, she became pregnant. And nine months later, Laskarina came into the world in May of 1771. The rebellion her father was part of failed. They had been promised aid by the Russians. However, Russia wanted a Greek rebellion to distract the Ottomans so that they could win a border treaty with them. And once Russia got the treaty they wanted, they abandoned the rebels, leaving them to the fate of the Ottomans. Laskarina's father's fate was death. Her mother married and had more children, and Laskarina grew up with her step-siblings, and she was known as a leader who loved to find adventures. 
From a very young age, she had her father's sense of freedom, and she never forgot that her father died trying to bring freedom to Greece. When Lascarina reached the age of 18, the French Revolution started. The young Greek people began to dream that maybe freedom was attainable. I did an episode on the French Revolution, and you can go back and listen to that episode. The call to freedom did, however, lead to the deaths of thousands of people in France, and eventually the people had to get a freedom from the revolution. However, the Greek people heard about the revolutions and that were spreading worldwide, the American Revolution among them. At the age of 17, Lascarina had fallen in love and married a young man named Demetrius. He had a job on a merchant ship. He moved up the ranks and became a merchant captain. He gained wealth, but then his boat was attacked by Islamic pirates. He was killed, another tragedy, at the hands of Islam. The Islamic pirates were known as the Algerian or the Barbary pirates. They were Ottoman pirates. They would take the sailors as slaves and steal their merchandise. Eventually, Lascarina found love again. But her second husband, who was also the captain of a ship, was also attacked by Islamic pirates. Her husband fought and refused to surrender. They defeated the Islamic pirates. However, her husband was shot and died just as the battle was ending. Lascarina was now 40 years old. Her father and both of her husbands had been killed at the hands of Islam. She had seven children at the time, and instead of remarrying, she did something other women did not normally do at this point in history. She took control of her husband's company and ran it herself. She was a very skilled businesswoman. She grew the company, became partner in many different ships, and eventually had her own built ship. She did all this during the Napoleon Wars. In 1816, the Ottoman Empire decided to claim all of her property. Lascarina refused to give her wealth to the Ottomans. She took her family and fled to Istanbul to find help with a friend who was a Russian ambassador. During this time, living with the Russian ambassador, Lascarina met a woman named Nakhshbil. She was the mother of Sultan Mahmoud II. Nask Shabil had been taken as a slave and forced to be part of the harem, where she was forced into a relationship that led to the birth of Sultan Mahmoud. Lascarina and Nakshabil became friends, and she promised to help keep her wealth safe. Around this time, Lascarina joined a secret society. In English, the society was called the Society of Friends. This group was dedicated to the liberation of Greece. They aimed to unify Greece and gain independence. Now, Lascarina did not remain a passive member of the secret society. She had a trading fleet of boats, and these provided the perfect cover. They constructed warships, but they disguised them to look like merchant vessels run by a woman. She had to bribe local officials to allow the construction of these ships. One of her ships was the most formidable of all of the Greek warships. By 1820, she had a huge fleet 
She was smuggling weapons and she was preparing for the War of Independence. The year 1821 was an important year for the Greeks. The Ottoman Empire was occupied with other conflicts, including a war with Persia and Austria. Alexander Ypsilanti was a leader of the secret society. He led a sacred band, and they inspired all of these local revolts against the Ottomans. While this sacred band was ultimately defeated, its actions inspired this general rebellion amongst the Greeks. In March of 1821, Lascanera did something that may seem simple, but it was a brave act of rebellion. She raised the Greek flag of the revolution on the mast of her flagship, and she led the first naval force to declare an independent Greece. This was a significant achievement in a nation closely tied to the sea. Lascarina led her fleet toward a major Ottoman stronghold in Greece. She blockaded the harbor with her fellow fighters, and they initiated a long siege. Remember, this is one woman, a mother, a widow, who used her fortune to build ships to sail to the major Ottoman port and then block the passageway. The town had three large forts and a long row of cannons. This was a town that would seem impossible to defeat. But Lascarina wasn't going to just take any town. She was going to take the strongest one. For a year and a half, she personally led attack after attack against the stronghold. She gained a reputation of being a lion-hearted warrior. Then, one Eastern Sunday, the Ottomans did something so horrific that it moved every Greek man and woman to the realization that there was no life unless they had freedom. That Easter Sunday, the Ottomans publicly executed the Greek patriarch Gregory V. This was a very loved man, and the public execution on this holy day ignited a fire. Even the Greeks, who had opposed the revolution, were now fully on board. It was freedom or death. This event and the brutal sufferings that the Greeks had at the hands of the Ottomans galvanized the European public and governments to support the Greek cause. All throughout Europe, people began to talk about how the Ottoman rule and the Islamic rule was treating the Christians in Greece. And volunteers began arriving in Greece from all over Europe to support this revolution. Now, while the volunteers were limited in number, what they brought was crucial military and medical supplies and money to support this Greek fight for independence. And because of those international supporters, the Greek now could challenge this declining Ottoman Empire on a more equal footing. The rebellion really took off in 1821, and the Ottoman army responded violently. But the rebels held their ground long enough to secure many positions. Lascarina, who had lost her father and two husbands at the hand of Islam, 
lost another loved one. Her son was fighting in a battle, and there were civilians trying to escape. He could see that they were going to be captured or killed. So he sacrificed himself so that the civilians could escape, and he was killed. Lascarina had lost another brave man in her life. In October of 1821, the city of Tripoli fell to Greek forces, giving them control over much of the Greek mainland. Lascarina was present in Tripoli at the time and witnessed the city's liberation. But these events also exposed the dark side of every war because both the Greek and the Ottoman troops committed terrible massacres. Now, Lascarina was still friends with the woman we talked about earlier, Nashkadil, and she had vowed that no matter what happened, she would protect women. She would protect the Greek women and the Islamic women. And Lascarina kept that vow. As the Greeks took control of the city, the men, the Greek men, began committing terrible acts in their anger. Lascarina searched out and found the harem, and she took all of the women and she kept them safe. She smuggled them out of the city, saving them from the Greek army she had helped rally. In December of 1821, the Greek National Assembly convened, marking the birth of an independent Greece. Now, the war was far from over. The brutality of the war continued. In April 1821, the Ottoman fleet landed in Chios. Despite the island's neutrality, the soldiers ran rampant. They were killing, enslaving, and degrading women, and thousands of the inhabitants were massacred. This incident ignited a public opinion in Europe. Everyone, all of the countries, became in favor of the Greek cause, including Russia, and they forced the Ottomans to keep most of their army on the borders of Russia. This allowed the Greeks to continue their resistance. Now, as the war dragged on, Greece started facing some internal conflicts. There was different fractions that had united the cause of independence, and now they had to choose who was going to govern this new nation, and the Greek Orthodox Church still had a powerful influence. The war continued for years as the Ottomans were pushed out one by one. However, Alaskarina did not witness the end of the war. While she was organizing a new fleet, a really tragic incident happened. Her son had married a local girl against this girl's father's wishes. Her father and a whole bunch of other men from his family came to fight her son. And Lascarina tried to stop the argument. But during the argument, somebody shot a gun and Lascarina was hit in the head with a bullet. This was a tragic and unnecessary end to a woman who had fought bravely her whole life for the freedom of the Greek people. Not long after her death, Greece finally won independence in 1828. Latskarina was given the title of Admiral, even though she had already died. This was an amazing thing for a woman to receive. Her children and her grandchildren became Greek naval officers, 
and her home is visited today as a reminder that even one woman can make a difference if she stands for freedom. Now, the church had played a role in keeping the culture alive for 400 years. They gave space for secret societies, and after the independence, they played a part in engaging international powers to support the Greek cause. Prominent clergy members actively lobbied for foreign intervention and the recognition of Greek independence, and they used their connections within the global Christian community. The Greek flag is made of the colors white and blue. Blue represent the sky and the water, and the white symbolizes the purity of the people. The stripes represent the Greek phrase, which in English is freedom or death. The cross is the symbol of the church. This flag was the flag of the people who wanted to be independent of Islam and to control their own land. In 1830, the London Protocol established the borders of the modern Greek state, and Otto was crowned as the first king of Greece. The Greek Orthodox Church was designated as the state religion, formally solidifying its role in the newly formed nation. The Greek War of Independence was a complex struggle that ultimately led to the reestablishment of Greece as an independent nation after 400 years of Ottoman rule. This war was pivotal in shaping modern Greece and the re-erection of Greek culture and identity. Now, during those same 400 years, the Holy Land was also held by Islamic rule. And many people in the Western Church were calling for Israel to also gain its independence. We're going to be covering that in a few episodes from now. But next week, we're going to look at the story of Fanny Crosby, and you're not going to want to miss that episode. So I will see you next week for another episode of Church History. Church History.